But I think the experience that SMBs receive today is far better than what they received several years ago. And that continues to change. But the reality, Adam, is that that's largely driven by the fintechs and the non-traditional players, like the two companies that we have with us today, as opposed to the incumbent banks. Welcome to episode 17 of the Deciphered podcast by Bain & Company. On this podcast, we unpack the stats to give you an in-depth perspective on different topics relating to fintech and the financial services industry. I'm your host, Adam Davis. I'm an associate partner at Bain & Company. And the title of this episode is SMBs. Is it still a growth opportunity or is it now overserved? And I'll add a little bit of context. So over the last 10 years, servicing to SMBs by the financial industry has step changed. Gone are the days where small and medium businesses were offered FS products through personal banking channels, the influence of fintechs, political pressure to give SMBs a fair chance, and the pretty significant margins available to providers has seen the industry totally transform over the last decade. In the US, SMBs account for over 45% of total GDP, and the financial services needed by these companies are complex. And through digital channels, you can now find products which are tailored to an SMB size, vertical served, specific industry maturity, and business model. On this episode, we want to discuss if SMBs is still considered a growth opportunity or if it's now oversaturated. And to do so, we have a great lineup with two individuals who are front and center of some of the most cutting edge propositions serving SMBs in the market today. First off, though, is my co-host, Jeff Tyson, who's the global head of fintech at Bain. How's it going, Jeff? Happy New Year. Likewise, Adam. Happy New Year. Things are going very well. It's been uh, it's been a rather busy start to the year, I have to say, but I'm, uh, I'm very excited to talk about a topic that uh, is very close to my heart, which is the future of SME banking, together with, uh, I would say, not just two great, but two amazing people who are running two very, very successful businesses. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, getting stuck in. Yeah, a topic close to our heart and a topic that's kept us busy over the last year or so, which has been great. And joining the two of us is Christina Reichers, who's the General Manager at Square Banking. Christina, great to have you on the show. Can you explain a little bit more about your role, Square Banking, and sort of its relationship with the wider company at Block? Sure. Thank you for having me. So Square Banking started a few years after Square did. So Square's about 14 years old now, started with this little white reader that people could plug into their phones to accept credit card payments, which was a novel at the time. And after we started getting more small businesses using us, one thing we noticed was a lot of consistency in some of the the payment trends, predictable really, and predictable enough that you could actually lend against it. And so we started doing that. We started uh, extrapolating what we thought their revenue would look like over time, extending credit against that, and had the ability to make repayment really simple by holding a percentage of their sales that came in after the fact. Uh, so great for the business to be first in line for repayment and loans, and also then simple for the seller where they didn't have to worry about it. So that was the first part of the lending business at Built-in Square. And then the second part of Square Banking is how we have balances for, for sellers and help them with their cash flow management. That started a few years later. We launched instant transfers, allowed sellers to move their money instantly into a linked bank account. Saw that tons of sellers actually used it and wondered, 
why are so many sellers willing to pay a little extra to get their funds instantly rather than wait one business day? So I spend a lot of time uh, in their homes and businesses just trying to understand how they're actually managing their cash flow. And what I came away with was just a profound understanding of just how tight cash flow was for a lot of these small business owners. Uh, and that was the inspiration behind Square Banking. Uh, so I ended up pitching Square Banking to Square Leadership Team. I said, go ahead, grab two engineers and come back in three months. And we launched a Square Debit Card with a stored balance model so that sellers, which is what we call our small business owners, could have that same value proposition of instant access to their funds, uh, but available to spend on a debit card. And then Square was able to monetize that through interchange on the debit card. So over the years, we've built that into a fuller suite of, of Square checking as well as Square savings and brought that along with our loans portfolio to, to make up Square banking. So I lead the Square banking business at Square as part of how we serve small business owners. Amazing. A truly sort of innovative and an organic growth to the business, it sounds awesome. And we'll deep dive into more of that as we go through the show. We're also joined by Richard Davis, who's the CEO of Aleka Bank uh, here in the UK. And it was recently named as the fastest growing UK fintech in history. Uh, Richard, w- welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining. Can you introduce, obviously, yourself, a little bit of your background, and then Aleka to those who haven't heard of the bank, maybe who are overseas, and obviously talk a little bit about your role? Yeah, sure. So I came to Alica in 2020. I came from Revolut, which is actually the second fastest growing in fintech. So I kind of <laughs> managed to knock it off the top spot. It's you, Richard. It must. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I also kind of helped out with the third fastest, which is Acorn <laughs> Bank back in 2013, 14. So it's kind of slightly weird actually when I saw that chart was published um, back in November, but pretty cool. So yeah, no, I've spent a bunch of time in major banks as well, like Barclays and HSBC, and to be honest, spent time trying to change up the inside of it. It was pretty frustrating. So kind of what led me down the fintech path. Alka, I'm CEO. We're focused exclusively on what we call established SMEs. So these are typically sort of five or 10 employees up to about 250 employees business. We kind of think that's a underserved space. You've got a lot of fintechs that have gone into micro businesses. Corporate, large corporate domain is still the really dominated by the, the major banks. And this kind of piece that's awkwardly in between where it's about a third of GDP, so it is actually the majority of, of SME GDP in the country. There's about 400,000, so there's quite a lot of them. But they're also kind of complex. So they're no longer just a person like a micro-businesses. They are a legal entity. They might be multiple legal entities. They've got shareholders, multiple directors. When they borrow, it's secured on different assets. So they've kind of got some of the corporate complexity, but there's lots of them, which is why we kind of think it's structurally underserved by the incumbent banks. So yeah, we've been building it out for the last three or four years. The aim really is to completely transform this segment. We think it's very badly served today, and it's a third of GDP, so it's kind of crazy that no one's doing this well. Fantastic. It's great to have you here. Let's move on to the main part of the show, and we'll start with what we always call the answer first. So at Bain, we sometimes use the concept called an answer first, which is having a a relatively formed quick hypothesis using the facts, the stats, and the brains from Bain. We always adapt it for the podcast, and we ask our guests for the quick 30-second answer or answer first to the top-line questions. In this case, SMB, is it still a growth opportunity or is it now over-served? Jeff, I'll come to you as I always do first. Go ahead. Building on what Christina and Richard were saying, I think for, for many years, everyone has talked about the fact that the SMB market is is massively underserved and that you know, the majority of, of SMBs around the world 
tend to get an experience from their financial provider that just simply isn't good enough, but that they're often too small to be served in a profitable way by the incumbent banks and effectively have therefore been largely ignored. And I've lived through this journey myself when I worked for a large European bank. And you know, the reality was that, especially the bottom part of the SME market, we just didn't really care too much about that. I do believe that we have seen tremendous level of innovation in the SMB space in recent years. And that I think the experience, this depends a bit on which part of the world they're in, but I think the experience that SMBs receive today is far better than what they received several years ago. And that continues to change. But the reality, Adam, is that that's largely driven by the fintechs and the non-traditional players, like the two companies that we have with us today, as opposed to the incumbent banks. I also think that we've probably only just scratched the surface despite all the innovation that we've seen in this space. And I actually expect that we're going to see a lot more innovation in this space in the years to come. And that's probably across the whole spectrum of SMBs from the bottom part of the S to you know, the top part of the M. So the answer is yes. But, uh, do I still think it's a growth opportunity? Absolutely. Do I think that you know, the market is overserved? No, I think it's actually the complete opposite. Christina, I'll come to you. I love that you're asking answer first. Fun fact, I was a Bain AC over 15 years ago, so it is uh, fun to hear that familiar term and kicking off a conversation that way. It's the trigger that never goes away. You hear the answer first and it all comes (laughs) flowing back. It certainly does. Uh, So unfortunately, not going to start a debate with Jeff on this one. My agreement is is yes, SMBs continue to be underserved. And, And the way I think about it is... If you think about sort of demand for SMB services, that continues to be strong, right? You've got, I think in the US, the Small Business Administration announced last week that there were record-breaking 5.5 million new business applications in, in 2023. And that made it the strongest year of new business applications on record. So you have a lot of demand from SMBs who need tools. Then on the supply side, you might say, okay, have there been too many fintechs, are banks actually pivoting and serving this market, private equity is coming in in some lending spaces, um, playing such as oversaturated. And I think while there are more companies who are serving that broadest definition of small businesses, many are focused on the highest earning SMBs rather than on Main Street businesses. And that's the area we're still squarely focused on. And a concrete example of where you've seen some of these companies who've come in, perhaps with broader ambitions, but have decided to narrow is like a fintech like Rex. In 2023, they pivoted from serving a broad range of small businesses to honing in specifically on financially backed startups. So in summary, I think SMBs are a huge category and there's a lot of different roles to fill. And what we see for the main street businesses in particular is their needs are still not met. They're also consumers in life. And so their personal expectations of what tech can do and should be able to do for their businesses are growing as we continue to evolve what is possible. Great, thank you. And Richard? I think certainly for the segment I'm in, it's like barren wasteland, right, of incredibly poor, dated legacy experiences and processes from the incumbent banks with like no real new capacitors having entered with any decent tech. For mainstream, uh, as Christina says, right, like for manufacturers, distributors, retailers, hotel owners, Right, that's who we serve, right? And I mean, just to give a reference point, like two of the six or seven high street banks here don't even have a mobile app for this segment, right? I mean, oh my God. It's like, when was the smartphone invented? Quite a while ago now. I mean, it's not in the US less well, right? But um, I would agree that that seems to be mainly sort of in the 
VC space, kind of the VC bubble, right? Where VCs invest in fintechs that are serving VC companies and ignoring the mainstream still. I, I think the space that probably in the UK has come a long way is the micro space. People like Tide, Starling, Monzo, Revolut. I've already, I thought sort of like your basic banking services have already, that's like transformed, right? From where it was seven years ago. So I say, I think that space has moved forward a lot, but certainly move into kind of the established business. I serve it's like a derelict wasteland of, uh, I'd love to see more good players in the market, to be honest, right? It can't just be us changing it. We'll cover this later in the show, but it is surprising, right? Because although the needs are complex, in theory, the margins, the lifetime value, if you like, of the SMB is higher than a micro. The risk of that SMB default is lower. So it's actually quite an attractive segment, but it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. We'll talk about it later in terms of what those blockers are and why it hasn't been evolved as much as you might have thought. Let's start with a little bit of background. And Christina, I'll come to you. We talked a little bit about at the beginning about the lending capability you've got moving into cash flow and then actually setting up this entity as a separate part of the business. What I guess is the strategy for you over the next two to five years, let's just say, and specifically what remit are you looking to sort of take just given the rest of the business? Because it's such an interesting dynamic, the way that you play with Cash App and then also obviously with the POS system and everything else that you've got at Square. One thing that is wonderful about being at Square is that our strategy ties with our purpose. We started Square with a really strong purpose that works through everything we do at the company, at Block overall. And that purpose is economic empowerment. And you feel powerfully that we're able to offer more fair business banking products to a segment that just hasn't been served well by the traditional segment. So we have a strong mission orientation there and it ties really well with the strategy. So our strategy is fundamentally how you could offer differentiated banking services when you're connected with payments and the point of sale. And so we spoke about it a little bit, how the ability to have payments coming through allows you to both see what sort of loan and credit a seller might be able to take on. It also allows you to have a very secure way of repayment that allows you to offer then credit to folks who might not traditionally get it if you were to rely on traditional credit scores or the like. Same with score checking. You get instant access to your funds in the account. Uh, We can help you budget and allocate percentages of your sales coming in in different folders that you can set aside for your quarterly taxes or for payroll or whatever it is. So to date, we've been focused on building out what we think are truly remarkable banking products and then getting sellers who come to Square primarily with payments and point of sale in mind to attach to these banking products. What you'll see over time is us starting to build our muscle to say, hey, come to Square for banking and payments, not come to Square for payments and then we'll attach with with banking later on as we're getting more robust in what we're able to offer and starting to incorporate other sources of information about the business, you'll start seeing us come up more kind of top of funnel as we talk to small business owners about why they should come to Square to help with all their business tools. Just one follow-up question, because I suppose when you organically build a part of the business like this, which has got the potential to be enormous and a you know a significant part of customer acquisition and, and a driver for growth, has it been hard to get your autonomy to be able to do that? Or is it more that the product is sort of speaks for itself? It's been so successful and so widely adopted that it's just 
you've kind of now got the remit to be able to speak up and sort of go toe to toe, if you like, with the other elements of the business. So the short answer is, is no, we don't. Like it's, it's not a competition. I think what we recognize is the more tools we have to serve businesses, the stronger we are, the more reason a seller wants to stay with Square because we're supporting them in many different ways. The thing you hear from our, our business owners is we have too many tools. They don't interact well. The data doesn't connect. And so the more areas that we're able to serve them and be that one place where they can go for their business tools, the better. And so in that end, it's not a, a competition within the business. And maybe I'll just give you an example. So for Square checking, you can have your sales come instantly into your Square checking account. If you're using Square Payroll, you can instantly run payroll in you know, two clicks. We pull money out of your Square checking account. And if you have your employees who are getting paid through Cash App in the US, we can pay them instantly. Now, typically, you would have to pull money in the US via ACH. You'd probably wait a few days to make sure the funds were there. And then you'd push money out to a bank account. You know, it, given our antiquated uh, bank money movement capabilities in the US in particular, that would take four to six days. And so we're able to say, we have all these information about you, about your business, and we have the, the money actually flowing through us. So we can do something like that instantly. So not a competition and very much also just culturally a real enthusiasm to start small, try new ideas, new businesses. If they seem to have legs, continue investing in them and celebrating that. Yeah, amazing. We're, we're going to talk about sort of that integrated SMB proposition a little bit later on and just how successful that's been for many companies who are looking to do the same thing. Richard, speaking of success, I wanted to ask you um, specifically, what could you point to, which has been the key driver of your success today? And what I would love to know is, would you put it down to just great timing in the market in an underserved segment? Or actually, is it around things like the propositions that you're putting out? Is it your underwriting models? Is it just the segmentation? Which element of it would you sort of put the pin in and say that was the one? Simply, it is having super clarity of focus on segment strategically and then that execution, right? Like continuous high velocity execution across every aspect. Now, listen, you always need luck as well, right? Um, and I always try and acknowledge that. So I certainly think kind of timings uh, helped, right? So for example, we launched with Lending First, COVID hit just after we launched. Sounds like it could be really bad, right? But what actually happened was the government launched these guaranteed schemes for companies that have been hit by COVID. All the existing lenders just basically drowned in that stuff and kind of stopped doing new loans to people that weren't, weren't hit by COVID. So like you've got businesses that are actually growing, doing well during COVID, not able to access finance. So our reputation sort of came out nothing in like, we worked with um, like professional finance community around SME lending. We, we got voted by them like, Commercial lender of the year, right? Seven months after our first loan signing, insane because just like with this white night. So, so listen, timing and luck matters hugely. It's been much harder to get that reputation on kick. But I'm a big believer that if you've got real clarity of purpose and strategy and you can just focus on that execution every day, right? It really helps because too many businesses spend like all their time on like pivoting left, right, and center and just don't know what they're doing. Clarity of strategy with great execution generally wins. If you have some luck as well, it, it, it super helps. I wanted to ask you both, because of what we've seen recently in the market, obviously, cost of living crisis, knock-on effect of higher interest rates and all that goes with that. 
Strategically, do you think that SMB margins for providers like yourselves and others have sort of held, or do you think actually they've been sort of under pressure? So I guess treat this as a temperature test for the SMB industry in general. I'd be really keen to get your thoughts at sort of the macro level, what you're thinking, Christina, maybe. So when I look at the different data points for our small business owners, it does look like it's been a tough few years. So we recently launched a data tool called the Square Payroll Index, and it tracks the average hourly wages of employees in the restaurant and retail industries in the U.S. And when you look at that, the median wage was $11 an hour in 2017, and the median wage in 2024 this month, $17. And it's above the inflation. And so you think about what are some of the main costs for SMBs. Payroll certainly a big one for a lot of them. What Richard was saying about uh, credit tightening during COVID, certainly true. We saw that as well. Uh, a lot of the traditional lenders, be it some combination of getting distracted by uh, government guarantee programs, or frankly, just nervous and tightening credit because they weren't sure what was going to happen. You had credit tighten, and so small businesses' opportunities to expand and to have more flexibility also reduced. So I think it has been a tough few years for small business owners. And what that means for us or how we've kind of translated that has been, okay, if margins are tight or maybe tighter, cash flow tools are even more important. And so that's where we launched some of these free budgeting tools to automatically put percentage of funds aside for your rainy day or whatever you're trying to kind of the mental model for how you actually need to put your, your funds aside. It's also meant for a lot of small business owners, a willingness to, to try or stick with technology, particularly to supplement uh, labor shortages, right? I mean, we all saw the, the QR code ordering that started during the pandemic, but I don't know about you all, but I, I'm still seeing that sustained for a lot of business owners as they're recognizing that as a way to not have to rely on as much with your employees during busier peak times. And so I think there are more SMBs who are willing to say, what technology can help us run the business and use that to, to sort of transition from this moment? Yeah, Richard, keen to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, just to pick up that, that last factor, Christina, I kind of totally agree. And like, I guess, again, another, another luck factor right from COVID for us that we're not trying to have branches and whatever everywhere, right? So that question, it's been tricky times for a lot of SMBs. Certainly if you're borrowing, your borrowing was on a variable rate. The interest rates pushing up has been tough combined with, I know you're running a hotel and you've got a gas-fired boiler, right? That was pretty tough in uh, sort of the peak gas prices a year and a half ago. I guess when it comes to what does financial services do? I guess the thing that's, um, that upsets me actually is like margins have actually widened. If you kind of look at the net interest margin that's being made by banks out of SMBs, it's gone up, right? Why? Because they've not really paid much extra um, interest as central bank rates have risen. So uh, I'll be honest, this kind of really pisses me off and something we're trying to really drive change on. For example, the average corporate gets paid in the UK 2% more interest than the average SME, despite the fact that the liquidity regulation says the worth of funds on the SME deposits is more than the corporate deposits. So if you were purely being economic, you should be paying more for SMEs than corporates. Um, we estimate, like, published some research in October that estimated the £7.5 billion of interest each year being missed out on by SMEs by 
basically being screen rates. So, yeah, I kind of think it's quite a bit more that could be done to help SMBs right now. Jeff, I'll come to you. I mean, just building on that point, judging from what you've seen at Bain and sort of the work that we've been involved in and the conversations, obviously, that we have, we know that the SMB mortgage market, business mortgage market is still dominated by incumbents. You know that generally lending is still dominated by incumbents, aside probably from alternative lending to quite significant percentages. But from a strategic perspective and what you're seeing, like how much share do you think should fintechs continue to believe that they can take from incumbents and from FIs? Let's say, give it a time period over the next five five years or so. Yeah, it's a great question, Adam. And there is an awful lot of room for growth. Well, and I think both Alec and Square are great examples of that. And I think despite what you just mentioned, if you take the UK market as an example, the majority of lending to small businesses now no longer comes from the high street banks, right? it no longer comes from the traditional players. Well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, about 55% actually comes from fintechs and non-traditional players. And that tells you something about how some of the dynamics in the industry have started to shift. And yeah, I 100% agree with you. Right? That I think it is important you know, to take more of a longer term perspective, but I'm 100% convinced that you know, that figure is likely to continue to go up. And that there are some reasons as to why that's the case. Now, We've obviously seen a lot of fintechs go to market with a particular wedge, right, as the guys pointed out earlier, and then effectively you expand from there. But even for some of the more established players in this space, I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow both in a, in a vertical as well as in a horizontal way. Now, part of the challenge, I think, is that unlike in a consumer space, for example, if you're a small business, you don't just go around and signing up to a whole bunch of different fintechs and neobanks and non-traditional players left, right, and center. Here in the UK, for example, I can sign up to a Monzo account, a Revolut account, a Starling account, and others for free if I'm a consumer and basically play around with them to see you know, which one do I like the most or even end up using a mixture of different players you know, that serve different purposes. As a small business, you just don't have the time you know, to go and do that. And Obviously, incumbent banks haven't necessarily been sitting still. Right? And I think they've all realized that they don't just continue to lose market share. But similar to what we've witnessed in the payment space, I think the SME space is, has become a real battleground. And we've seen an awful lot of interest from our incumbent uh, clients, for example, to say, hey, we, we need to do something. Our SMB business hasn't necessarily received the love, the attention, the funding that it needs you know, to compete with some of the emerging players in this space, and we, we have to do something. We've seen different incumbent banks around the world launch greenfield digital SME banks, for example, but you know, it's fair to say that you know, the results have been average at best, to use some British politeness. Uh, but you know, one of the reasons for that is they tend to lack any form of differentiation. I think what's quite interesting, and listening to Christina and how Square has continued to grow and expand, a lot of that is underpinned by not just a fundamentally better understanding of what SMBs are looking for, but you know, also things like the ability to actually act, right? to move at pace, to rapidly respond to new developments in the market, to yeah, have some of the best talent out there, to be much more of a, a mission-driven business when it comes to serving SMEs, to actually be able to leverage data to create much more of a human and, and personalized experience as opposed to you know, this one-size-fits-nobody approach that you know, a lot of banks tend to offer. And to offer a service that is is just fundamentally you know, 10x better compared to what SMEs tend to get from their traditional providers. And, and I could go on and on and on. So all of the things I just mentioned, Adam, 
they're very, very hard for incumbents to replicate. So yes, there is a tremendous opportunity, I think, for fintechs to continue to gain share from incumbents in this space. Yeah, and we've seen quite recently, probably over the last couple of years, some of the NEOs, some of the challenges, whether they're banks or non-banks or have got EMIs, they're looking to build out those integrated suite of SMB services. Christina, you referenced, you know, it sounds like the square model, if you like, but certainly starting from, as you said, Jeff, a wedge or a principal product and then growing out from there. Richard, I wanted to ask you, it looks like, you know, from your suite of products that you're on that journey at the moment, how hard is it to capture this ongoing SMB engagement if you don't have that integrated offering? And what's the key product that sort of hooks SMBs, if you like, into, you know, ongoing engagement, which is obviously so important? Yeah, I think... Actually, two things, right? One, I think if you talk engagement, you have to really talk about doing something day-to-day with your financial services provider. That's going to have to involve payments, right? The only thing businesses do every day is is payments. If you really want to be talking about you've got a day-to-day engagement with the customer, you've got to be doing some form of payments with that customer. Ideally, as much of their payments as possible. But certainly when you're in our segment, that's not often what the business owner cares about. Right, you're running a 25-person specialist manufacturing business. You've got someone doing that payments activity, so yeah, it needs to work, right? And yeah, it, it sort of has a day-to-day relationship, but not what you're thinking about at all, right? The thing they care about is that loan that allows them to buy another business or to build another factory or to do that big order um, ahead of Christmas that allows them to ensure they've already got good stock to sell, and so. The financing is kind of often the moment of truth for the, the business owner, but you don't do that financing that often, right? Like building your warehouse once every five years. So both matter in my view, right? I think you kind of got to fit the two together to make the thing really work for, for that business properly. Uh, it's, if you've got only one bit of it, it's, you kind of patch you, right? You're either engaging every few years, you don't really have a relationship to do lending, or yes, you're doing a bunch of payments, but the business owner doesn't really care. That makes sense. And uh, Christina, you guys have got a significant amount of products in your suite at the moment. As we move through this year, is there anything that you don't have in your suite of products that you might want? Or is there anything, you know, from a product roadmap perspective that you've got your eye on that you don't currently provide? I'd be really interested to know across the suite of SMB servicing, you know, be expense management, whatever it might be, what is the next frontier, if you like, that you're looking at that you think, wow, that could, that could result in significant growth? Give us your five-year roadmap, Christina. Yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> summed up, it'd be wonderful if you put your product roadmap onto Cypher. No, um, <laughs> tactically. <laughs> For us, it's going to be continuing to hear from our small businesses what they need as they grow. So historically, Square started out serving the micro sole proprietor seller. And over the last few years and continuing on, we're serving slightly larger seller, uh, a restaurant owner who might have two locations or a retail shop that, you know, serves a few different towns in the area. Still small businesses on the small end by the kind of big definitions you end up seeing at the macro level, uh, but their needs also evolve. And so what that will mean for us is is two things, is understanding uh, of our different lending products, what additional flexibility do they need? What different form factor do they need? How do we need to think about that? So that'll be part of it. On the cash flow tools, we've heard from some of these small business owners saying, hey, this was all well and good when it was just me running the shop, but as I've grown my business, 
I also have a, a front office manager and another partner who also are involved in spending for our business. It doesn't work that I just have one debit card with my Square checking account. So we just recently rolled out multiple debit cards. And you could sort of imagine how that suite evolves to recognize that when it comes to your cash flow management as a business, you're going to have different people involved. Maybe some of them also work the, the point of sale and you want them being able to run out to get kind of extra supply that you run out of if you're the barista, you need to get extra milk around the corner and you want them to have something handy there with with a set of permissions for how they're able to spend and what that might look like. Or somebody who you want to be more of like an equal partner in managing the cash flow of your business. So we'll kind of continue to be evolving to take into account who are all the different folks involved in managing the cash flow of a business and the ability to then tie that deeply into what we offer of how you think about team permissions on point of sale, how you think about payroll and payments. I think that's going to be the real secret sauce that we're going to continue to, to build on, which is really you know around that cohesion that allows for ease of use for the sellers because that's what they need. They need one less thing to think about given all the different hats they wear to run a business. Yeah, it's amazing. Like designating signatories permissions. It's like there's certain things that people will look at the SMB business and world and just not really think about it, but they're so important from a usability perspective. It sort of makes and breaks the app. Richard, I'd ask you the same thing. I know you just mentioned payments there, so maybe it's a further extension of that, but is there one product that you're looking at at the moment and thinking this is the one for 2425? So we kind of entered payments um, like autumn of 2022 with some current account product. Yeah, for sure. There's loads more we want to build out on that uh, it's sort of pretty decent but in terms of some of the features that customers really like in this space so as we've started to get more and more feedback on the current product I, things like for example pretty fine-grained permissions privacy settings when you've got multiple users of the accounts kind of are quite quite important so we're playing around with some of that but we have like a lot of in-house product engineering staff so all of our products we're adding features to so I kind of don't really think about those as sort of new products as such I think if we talk about whole new products probably the thing we're looking at this year is in kind of the, the bridging development finance space which we don't currently play and it, it's a bit specialist but does seem kind of underserved so probably do something on that during the course of this year but to be honest, it's kind of a niche specialist product we we have all the the main sort of classes of product that we're constantly iterating those from a sort of product end point of view to try and make them uh, better and better I wanted to touch a little bit on the jobs to be done for small businesses. So we, we've mentioned them here, Christine, you've given us a real taster for sort of the SMBs that you've been interacting with and some of their challenges that they've got. Jeff, in terms of what you've seen, uh, and we've been a part of a small business before, first of all, what do you think are sort of the top jobs to be done at the moment? But I suppose more broadly, do you feel that those jobs necessarily change? It's just the technology to address them changes and therefore the better served they are. And I've been interested to get your time because we are constantly asked about, you know, what are the jobs to be done? What's sort of top of mind for SMBs? My stock response is generally they stay the same, but the tech improves. So they sort of get tweaked. I'm interested to get your thoughts. I probably agree with most of that, Adam. Although I do think that it's probably slightly more complex than just the tech that is changing. I do tend to agree with you that what small businesses are looking for today in terms of, and again, you know, this is a fintech podcast, so I'm sure that many of our listeners will be familiar with the concept of jobs to be done, but obviously we're talking about you know, what are those customer needs that are underserved and overcharged. So I don't necessarily think that those core jobs to be done have fundamentally changed. I do think, however, that 
both the nature of distribution and how those products and services are being consumed by small businesses, that has definitely changed. And building on your point about how technology has evolved, I also think that the emergence of new technologies, because obviously the pace of change that we've seen in this space in recent years is unlike anything that we've ever seen before. So the emergence of those new technologies, that has obviously opened up your opportunities to serve those needs in a much better, more effective way. But as Richard, you also pointed out earlier, it's obviously an awful lot easier to do that and to address those core customer needs if you're building on top of a modern banking stack as opposed to an incumbent bank where you're building on top of a spaghetti of complex and outdated systems. And I do believe, Adam, that even though there are some commonalities, some similarities between different types of SMBs, Christina mentioned this earlier, their needs obviously evolve as they grow. And therefore, if you're serving these segments in the market, it's obviously really important that you're able to grow with those businesses as they continue to scale. Now, back to your point about what are some examples of some of those jobs to be done? I mean, it's it's relatively straightforward, right? As Christine also pointed out, the number one issue that small businesses face is cash flow. So things like help me track and manage cash flow in a better and more coherent way. Help me optimize and grow the business. Help me spend more time in the business as opposed to on the business. For someone you know, who was part of a small business, my wife runs a small business, you tend to spend an awful lot of time doing stuff that as a small business owner, you don't really want to do, but it's just a necessary evil that you're going to have to deal with. And I think historically, banks have done a pretty poor job at A, understanding what those needs are, and B, just thinking beyond just financial products. So things like, yeah, help me make smart and proactive business decisions. I've heard a lot of companies talk about offering this CFO in your pocket. So how do you effectively help me automate a whole bunch of stuff? How do you just make my life significantly easier so, again, I can spend more time running and growing and optimizing my business? And I think this builds on a trend that we're seeing in the industry more broadly, Adam, which is you're historically, and I'm generalizing a bit here, but banks were just very, very reactive, and now I think you know, organizations are becoming more proactive, but ultimately you know, what you really want as a small business is that you become more predictive. Right? You can do, a, a, given what you know about my business, you have a pretty good understanding of how my business is performing based on historical data. You, know, you probably know that if I see a massive boost in Q4, what are you proactively going to do you know, to help me successfully navigate those couple of months? Right? So it's a fantastic couple of months for my business. I think another important aspect is, and again, building on a, on a trend, the whole embedded finance trend that we're seeing is, I had a really interesting conversation with one of our investor clients the other day. What he said is that if I have to wait for companies to come to me asking for investment, I'm doing something fundamentally wrong. I need to go where those businesses are. I need to be much more on the front foot. And we're already seeing this now, but I'm 100% convinced that in the not too distant future, If you're a small business, you will no longer go to your bank if you want a loan. You will probably go elsewhere. You will go to whatever platform of choice where you're already spending a significant amount of time. And again, you're already seeing this with a whole bunch of different platforms in various parts of the world that have obviously evolved and have started to offer different types of financial services. I think the final point, Adam, is what's definitely really important building on the point about jobs to be done is that you provide something that is is truly differentiating in the market. And you don't just build a slightly better or more sexy version of you know, what an existing incumbent player provides. 
it's also really important to, and again, I think both companies are, are great examples of that, is to look beyond those traditional banking products, as I mentioned earlier. We published a piece a couple of months ago now that was titled, Small Businesses Don't Want Banking Products, They Want Support Managing Their Finances. And one of the things that it talked about was you know, that for the majority of banks, you effectively sell off-the-shelf financial products without that deep understanding of you know, their clients' priorities and you know, what their pain points and what those jobs to be done are. Christine, I might throw this one to you. This is more around thinking about what those jobs to be done are. You could segment SMBs, obviously, between micro, small, medium businesses, but then also prime, subprime, near prime businesses, and then vertically and all sorts. So there's an enormous amount of classification which goes on, which will in itself sum up the sector. How hard is it to go from serving micro to small to medium? And how do those jobs move as you go sort of up the food chain, if you like, from sort of a, a one-man band micro business all the way through to you know, some of the businesses that, that Richard's obviously serving, and then maybe even bigger than that? I'm interested to get sort of your thoughts on that and how you would approach it if that's what Square was going to do. From a lending perspective, there's been a lot more similarities than I might have expected between some of the lending needs and what we're able to do between a micro sole proprietor and a larger seller because we've had this unique visibility into the health of our sellers' businesses, including like we've talked about the processing volume, payment frequency, customer mix. We've been able to leverage the same fundamental product of a square loan to offer it and just size it according to the size of a business. And so the, the sweet spot for us is historically not having to worry about what your external credit score is, but really being able to look at the specifics of your business and then offer you effectively a pre-approved loan based on that. Uh, and so you know, what you end up seeing is we lend over a billion dollars a quarter to small business owners, but that average loan size is historically been less than $10,000 alone. So that's significantly smaller than you find in the market, which speaks to our ability to reach and serve these small businesses that have traditionally really been underserved because that's just, that's an expensive loan for a bank to do. And we see it in the numbers too. So 56% of sellers who took a square loan in 2022 were women-owned businesses. In the US, the SBA standard is less than 20%. And so we're reaching a segment that hasn't always been served very well, but it really does actually span the spectrum of size quite nicely. Now, the things that we're layering on on top of that or hearing from our sellers are, hey, a loan's great, but I also have a lot of daily needs that I want to be able to use credit for. And so in response to that, we, we built Square Credit Card. It's in beta right now, but we're getting great feedback from our small business owners because it has a lot of the similar properties that we've had to date of ease of use, being able to offer it to a seller, an American Express metal card that brings with it a lot of pride for them as a small business owner saying, wow, I earned this. Look at this. You know, here is a card. I have credit that I can spend on my business, but is really, again, integrated into how they're running and managing their business. So we take a lot of those same fundamental elements uh, and, and bring it to bear as we build new product offerings for our sellers. Love that. And Richard, I'm assuming your answer to this would be from the segment that you're looking after at the moment, it would be you're going to stick where you are. As you said before, it's such sort of a, a barren wasteland within that top end of M. The requirement for you to go upwards and downwards actually just isn't necessarily there at the moment. Yeah. So I guess it's more than top end of M. It sort of 
not sure I love the, the letter denominations anyway, right? <laughs> but I know there's sort of like a gray area, right? I'd say between five, 10, 15 employees. For me, really, it's about how much is this about one person? And sure, they might have a few employees, but it's one person really, versus it's become a sort of multifaceted business with someone doing finances, there's like three directors, there's a subsidiary legal entity, there's like an independent shareholder. It's that sort of stuff that starts to make it, we just find super difficult for everyone out there because I'm just not built for any of that. And yet there's hundreds of thousands of these companies, right? That's a space that we love, right? So I sort of arbitrarily define it in number of employees or you, you could talk about revenue, but it's, it's really that complexity, which does speak to kind of the jobs to be done framework, right? Because that's ultimately what's causing the pain is that, for example, one of the high street banks in a ring fence bank in the UK, which is kind of like sub six and a half million pounds annual revenue, basically an exiting anyone's got more than uh, two directors. It's like just too complex for their system to handle. Actually, one of the fintech banks in the UK has done the same. We love that space, right? We kind of view the problem we're trying to solve as complexity with volume. And that's kind of what we try and build software to solve for. We've got around five minutes left. And I just wanted to finish on the topic of competition and potential consolidation industry and, and, and where you see things going over the next year or so. Jeff, I'll start with you. Do you expect consolidation at the moment? In the, I mean, you talked about embedded finance as a trend, which might be interesting to see sort of platforms and SaaS businesses trying to you know, integrate this capability into what they do and therefore potentially looking at you know acquisitions or investments. And we speak obviously to investor clients a lot. Do you expect some form of consolidation in, and obviously SMB is a broad term, but in certain facets of SMB? And then Christina, Richard, I'd love to get your views on competition and who you see sort of, you know, coming up or if they're already there expanding their product suites um, going forward. But Jeff, I'll start with you. I'll keep it short, Adam. And I think considering what we've witnessed in the fintech space in the past 12 to 18 months uh, from an investment perspective, I do believe that, you know, there are businesses out there that I think will struggle unless they manage to you know, diversify their revenue stream. Well, because they're, they're just too much. The market that they're going after simply isn't large enough in order for them to work towards sustainable profitability. And you know, we're already seeing as now, we? we've seen an awful lot of interest from some of our investor clients. You're look, and also on the corporate side, to be fair, you're looking at M&A opportunities. And I do think that there are some fantastic businesses out there that provide an amazing offering but they're effectively too small in order to be able to stand on their own two feet longer term. And therefore, I would not be surprised if you will see an element of consolidation going forward. And also, I think you know, as some of the more established players continue to you know, diversify, move into other parts of the SMB space, again, well, I think some of these organizations will provide either fantastic opportunities to partner or you know, to go and acquire some of these businesses. So yes, Adam, I do expect to see a healthy degree of consolidation in the market going forward. Whether that will happen in 24 remains to be seen, but I think generally speaking, you know, we do expect to see some sort of consolidation in the market. And Richard, just picking up on that point on competition, who do you see as a potential competitor to you? I mean, people might be looking at your business now and thinking, crikey, we've missed a trick over the last three to four years. You know, let's let's plough in. Do you expect that kind of response from the banks or? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see that. So honestly, I, I sort of feel like I've gone past the point of, can we create a great business of shareholders and whatever? I'm sort of equally purpose-driven. And you look at what sort of in the UK, right? 
happened with Consumer, with Revolut, Bonzo, Starling. I think Jeff may referenced it earlier. It forced like this massive investment, right? Billions a year investment in digital UX, mobile UX, et cetera. That's the kind of thing my segment's not seen anything right. There's just not been any investment. I would love to see if I could be a small part and forcing people to invest billions to improve their problems and customers in this space. I'll feel very happy in my later years of retirement, right? So uh, yeah, I'd love to see much more competition come in. Equally, I, we don't think about competition at all, right? It's about execution. Execution and velocity is the only thing that matters, right? Keep getting customer feedback, have high velocity in execution against that feedback and keep improving. Who cares what the competitors are doing, right? Just keep executing based on customer feedback. So um, yeah, I, I'd love to see more people come in, but to be honest, we're not really paying much attention to that. Love that. Christina, what about yourself? When I think about competition and fintechs, I think a lot about the wedge where they started from. So for Square, we started platform first, non-industry specific in terms of the sellers that we we served. Over time, we're building bespoke tools for restaurants, right? Table service, kitchen display, systems for the kitchen staff, as well as things like deep inventory management for retailers. So we are building on top of our platform and on top of horizontal products like banking, like payroll, some of those bespoke tools that are needed as you become more more specialized and larger. Then you've got other competitors who they started vertically focused, right? And they're going to actually kind of go in the other direction. So that's what I think is so interesting about the space and about what you see folks doing is like, where do they start from and where are they going next? But fundamentally, it's kind of like Richard said, at the end of the day, it just stay focused on what our customers' pain points are and building remarkable products against that. So we don't, at the end of the day, spend that much time thinking about our competition, but really staying close to, to their needs, where we're serving them, where we're providing the, some of the easiest to use tools in the space and, and really um, differentiated quick access to capital, to your cash flow when you need it. Also fantastic to hear. And that will conclude the episode. Thank you so much. That was awesome, Christina, Richard, Jeff. That was great. And thank you for listening to our 17th episode of Deciphered. Let's just go around the group in terms of where the listeners can find out more about you. Jeff, where's the best place to contact you? Probably just LinkedIn. And obviously keep an eye on Bain.com for uh, some of the new and exciting content that is coming up in the coming weeks and months. Christina? If you're interested in Square, squareup.com has all the information about us. Uh, for me, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Do you know, I will just say I found my Square terminal from about 2018. I think I was in the first rung of those that came over to the UK when you first set up here. Used it for my wife's jewellery business, if you can believe. And I'm not sure if it still works, but anyway, I thought I'd throw in that snippet. I love it. It should still work, but we also have introduced uh, more hardware into the UK at this point. So if she needs an upgrade, uh, let me know. <laughs> I will do. Yeah, she went pure on. But yeah, no, it was interesting. I couldn't believe I found it. Richard, how about yourself? Yeah, so we're alica.bank website and yeah, LinkedIn, definitely the best for me. Awesome. And you can find me obviously at Bain.com or on Adam D8 on Twitter or on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed that, please leave us a preferably five-star review on Apple and Spotify. And please subscribe obviously to the podcast so you never miss an episode going forward. And thank you so much to the panelists and thank you uh, to the listeners and we'll see you next time for more.